0: My name is Josh. I am the family minister here. It's my privilege to be with you, to open God's word with you, and to study together, to learn, be edified through it. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Go ahead and be turning there. I'll read it to you in just a moment. This week, I was watching television, or I was on the internet actually, and I was listening to two commentators talk about uh, college football and professional football and how these things are happening or not happening in relation to the coronavirus, and they were debating it back and forth. And at one point, one of the announcers said uh, that the adults needed to step in and make this decision because the 18 to 21-year-old kids that play college football just don't have the ability to make this decision. They don't have the ability to understand the ramifications of what's going on here. I was just kind of taken aback by that comment, not because I care much about college football, Um, I don't. But that wasn't what really bothered me or um, caught my ear, I guess. Uh, The fact that this commentator referred to 18 to 21-year-olds as kids without the ability to make decisions for themselves as it relates to what's going on. Kids. And I just wonder, why is it that we, and I think society, have such a low view of 18 to 22-year-olds? Why is this announcer saying the thing that he's saying? Why is he referring to these adults the way that he is? And as I read through Deuteronomy 6 and I think about the passage this week, I think about my own home. I have five children, uh, two future men and, th- and three ladies. And so Jacqueline and I, we're clear on the objective. We're raising men and we're raising ladies. Uh, women, it's a mess a lot of the time. We, we mess it up. It's not pretty. It gets ugly uh, but we know what we're trying to accomplish, and we know to what end we're praying and to what end we're striving after. We want men ready to go out into the world as 18-year-olds adults, Christian adults, fully functioning, ready to, to, to stake a flag in the ground for the kingdom of God. So we want our daughters to be able to go out at 18 to another place, fully functioning, and to accomplish something for Christ. That's our goal. That's our objective. And that's my hope for your children. As the family minister here, I know that's the staff and the elders hope as well. Sunday school teachers hope that your children at 18 are young, Christian, fully functioning adults ready to step out into the world and to do big things for the kingdom of God. The question before us this morning is how? How do we accomplish that? How do we, we, we take an, an infant that the, the Lord entrusts to us and raise them up in such a way that they're prepared to do that? I think Ephesians 6 helps us to answer that question. So let's... Let's dive in and read it together. Beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for who you are. You are an awesome God. pray that you would help us to understand your word with accuracy and to respond to it in faithfulness this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So let's dissect the passage a little bit. We'll go verse by verse. But before we do, just a bit about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, Um, Israel finds themselves standing on the borders of the promised land again for the second time. And in that location, Moses delivers three addresses or three sermons to the Israelite people, essentially pleading with them and preparing them for life in the land. So, So these are some of the last words that Moses will speak to God's people before they cross over. And he's urging them, faithfulness, faithfulness, fidelity, and fear of the Lord crying out for faithfulness to the covenant as they enter into the land. So as I read the passage, if it felt familiar to you, maybe it's because uh, it's also a passage quoted in the New Testament. We find Christ's words in Matthew 22 in, in answering the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is the most important law or the most important commandment. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all... Your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So the importance of our passage this morning is heightened, I think. Well, all scriptures God breathed, but the fact that Jesus quotes it and says that this is the greatest commandment should should emphasize to us the importance of what we're doing and what we're studying this morning. Also, I would say, if you've ever tried to read the book of Deuteronomy, then you know it's, it's sort of tough sledding. It can be quite challenging. And so, praise God, we have this summation. We have the Jesus Notes version, not the Cliffs Notes, but the Jesus Notes version of the book of Deuteronomy um, right here in the passage that we're studying this morning. So look down at your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the Hebrew, Shema, Shema, O Israel. Shema is the first word of this section of scripture. And so sometimes this passage is referred to as the Shema. A little word study on that. Shema, and we find out that it's a word freighted with more meaning than just hear. It's really hear and do. That's the implication of the word. And so hear and do, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, would be one way of understanding this verse. And so we can hear, but if we don't do, then we haven't heard. So you see the connection? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's a hearing and a doing. So we hear, but then what do we do? And that's what comes next, uh, this little doctrinal statement, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And sometimes this this little doctrinal statement, maybe this is just me, but it, it, it feels like a little bit of a throwaway phrase for us, which is horrible. But we, we would read this like, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, right? Emphasis on what comes next, the greatest commandment, and we just want to get to that. And so we, we read over this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, sort of like that, right? And we shouldn't do that because it's the word of God, and it's actually a really profound um, phrase, a really profound sentence that we need to give ear to. I think we read over it also because we're monotheist right? We're pretty settled on the worship of God here in this room. And even if you're not a believer in this room, if you're not hoping and trusting in Christ, if you were going to, it would probably be, you would probably put your belief in God. And so, in other words, there's not a pantheon of deities on like your fireplace ledge at home, right? But in this context, in Deuteronomy, that would have been more of the case. And so this Phrase takes on more meaning because coming out of Egypt, there might have been some holdover worship or some influence of Egyptian gods that are, God's people are still struggling with. And they're getting ready to go into the promised land where they're going to encounter Canaanite culture where they worship lots of gods and goddesses. I looked that up just out of curiosity this week. And I found a list of Canaanite gods and goddesses. And it was in alphabetical order. And there were 13, which doesn't sound a lot. But like those are the ones that started with A. And so if we work through Z, there would be a whole lot more, right? And so Hero oh Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh is one over and against the plethora, the pantheon of gods that you're going to encounter upon entering into the land. We can flip one page to the left. You might not even have to flip your page. Right at the beginning of chapter 5, Moses restates the Ten Commandments. And so, as I said, he's preaching sermons. This is a long one. It started in 444. It ran through chapter 26, 22 chapters of preaching. Right at the outset, we have the law. Right before the Shema, verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So the Shema, this first verse, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is a summation. It's a a commentary on really the first four commandments, the first two of which we just read together. So as Israel enters into the land, God is establishing for them a priority, right, Acknowledge God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses is building culture. God, through Moses, is building culture. He's defining it, he's, giving, he's redefining it. He's given definition to how Israel should be, what they should believe, and how they should believe it as they enter into the land. Look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. With all your might. So, again, the hearing and the doing. This is what we're to do. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and might. If you like points, you can write these down. Point number one there is one God. We covered that. Point number two love Him with all of your being. Some have interpreted these five verses um, by understanding that the heart, the soul, and the strength are three separate parts of the person right um, three separate faculties that we all need to be uh, that need to be brought into one hundred percent alignment or love for God and so in other words uh, yesterday I loved God with eighty percent of my heart seventy percent of my soul and uh, my strength was uh, a really poor 20%, and so today I'm working on that. I'm really working on my strength to get my strength up because I wanted, you know, at a higher number today, and in my heart and soul, I'm giving those some attention too, but they don't need as much as my strength, right? But the goal is is to get to where 100% of those things love the Lord. Confusing, no? Yeah, I, I don't think we should understand the passage that way. Um, these words are best understood... Um, by us in the same way that they were, would be understood or received by those Moses was preaching to, the Israelites. And so the heart is not the seat of emotion. Sometimes when we hear the word heart or we think of heart, we think of Valentine's Day. We fall in and out of love with people and emotion. Um, it, we relate emotion to the heart. It's a motive. No, the Hebrews would have received this or, or heard this as um, their brain. So the decision-making part of the person was their heart. And so love the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, The soul would have been the inner being or the soul um, of the person. And then their strength, translated literally, is their very muchness. And so we bring these three words together and we have this understanding that we're to love God with all of our being, with with every bit of our capacity. 100% of us should be loving God. those words... That, that sentence, that command is a summation of the law according to Christ's word in the New Testament. So I don't wanna get into a theological discussion or, or debate about what the purpose of the law is, but I do want you to think and I want you to ask yourself the question this morning, very practically speaking, what is the purpose of the law? What's the purpose of laws? They bring order to society, right? They bring orders to society. And what's God doing? What's God doing through Moses with these first two verses that we've looked at? I think, again, he's ordering society. He's defining culture. He's helping his people to to have a, a priority or a hierarchy in their life. So God first, acknowledge God. Love a love of God second. We're to love him with all of our heart, soul, and strength. So let me ask you this morning, what are you worshiping today? What is the, the, the hierarchy of your life? What are the priorities of your life? What are you giving your heart, soul, and strength to? What are you investing your time and your talents into? What are the little functional Canaanite gods, the little Canaanite deities that have worked their way into your home and into your lives? could be good things that have become ruling things. That's a definition one biblical council offered. Idols are good things that become ruling things in our lives. And so every idol isn't something obvious and overt. At times it's our marriages or it's our family. It's or, uh, our children or any other number of things that have assumed a place of ruling in our lives. So we could fill in the blank. You fill in the blank in your own minds. The blank is God. The blank is the one, and right now I love blank as my heart, with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. So every day we should be asking ourselves a question, what are we wanting? A question that gets to the heart of our worship. What are we wanting? What are we desiring? What are we going after and pursuing? And is it God with all of our heart, soul, and strength? Before we move to the rest of the text, I want to be clear about one thing. As I, as I read through this over and over and over again this week, um, there was an emotion that came back almost every time I read it, uh, just a burdensome feeling as I read that we're to love, I'm, I'm to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and strength. And I get it here and I get it later in the sermon too, there's this, there's this burdensome feeling of how in the world can I do this? How in the world can I do more? And it's just the reality that the, the expectation of God's word is incredibly high. He wants all of us. He demands all of us. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. So every bit of sin, all of it, all of it, every bit of it has to go. It all has to go. And all of our hearts, souls, and strengths should belong to the Lord. And it's just, it's, that's a weight. That's a burden on my back, right? And so before we move on, we, we need the gospel, right? Right? because I don't have the love to love God with. And so where do, where do I get that? How do, how do we get the love that we need to love the Lord with? 1 John 4, 10, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and given us his son as a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Later in the same chapter, we love because he first loved us. So, the gospel gives us the capacity to love God in this Deuteronomy 6 5 sort of a way. But without the gospel, without Christ, without God loving us first, then we don't have the ability to love Him in return. We just have a burden on our backs, a responsibility that we cannot bear. And so, let's be clear about the gospel. As we talk about more of our lives, more of our kids' lives aligning with the Word of God, we need to be clear. We talk about culture and Moses building a culture and building a gospel culture in our home. We need to be clear that a gospel culture acknowledges God, creator and maker. And acknowledges our brokenness as sinners in need of a savior. And then hopes in Christ and his perfection and his ability to do these things that we can't do. And then responds in faith. And so if you haven't responded in faith, if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you haven't hoped in him and what he accomplished for you, then this is going to sound incredibly burdensome to you this morning. And I would ask you to consider that. Children, consider that. Is is this morning the time to respond? Is the fact that you're here, is God loving you? You're hearing the word of God prayed and preached and sung. That's God's love in your life. Will you respond to it by loving him in return and hoping in him and putting your faith in? In him. Let's look back at verse 6. Dive back into the text. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What words is Moses commanding to be on the hearts of his people? So he preached all day. It must have been all day. I wasn't there. But it's at least chapter 4 through 26. So that's a lot, okay? All of that, all of God's commands, statutes, restrictions, rules, instructions, all of it is to be on the hearts of his people. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. So just think about that. You shall teach them diligently. So with energy, right, faithful, with energy, aggression, diligence, we're to get the word of God into the hearts of our kids when? When they sit in your house and when they walk by the way. Now, where else can you be? If you're not at home and you're not in the way, walking in the way, wherever the way is, where are you? Where else, where else can you be? Where can you go to escape the responsibility of putting God's word into the hearts of your children? There's nowhere, right? Right? When you sit or when you lie down, is that verse eight? No, it's the rest of verse seven. When you lie down and when you rise. So I was trying to think about this, there is like a moment, right? When you're getting out of bed, when you're sort of in this transitional point where you're not lying or I think standing, right? So during that moment, feel free not to teach your kids diligently. Is there ever a time when we're excused from diligently teaching our children God's Word? The answer is no. The answer is no. I read this passage 50 times this week, over and over. I didn't count. Over and over and over again. And the word that continually popped into my mind was immersive, right? It is our job as parents to baptize our kids, to immerse our kids into the Word of God. So it's really cool. God is building this culture, right? Or he's giving definition to it with words. Acknowledge God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel. Hear that reality. And do this reality. Love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And now perpetuate that culture in the land. When you go into the land, possess it and perpetuate it. How do we perpetuate that culture? By immersing our children into the word of God. By continually and constantly putting the word of God into the hearts of our kids. Point number three, teach them diligently. Teach them diligently. So we're in partnership with you in that as a church, at Southside. I just got here um, but had a lot of conversations on my way in. And I'm going, to put, I'm going to put into my words what I believe you are already doing that I affirmed. So this is an exciting thing for us because I have gone to churches in the past where my job was to help them make a transition. Here I just got to come in and, and affirm and support and encourage you in what you're already doing to a large degree. We want to partner with parents in the disciple-making process. So we're going to equip, encourage, and hold accountable parents as the primary disciple makers of their homes, right? And we want to come alongside of that as the church and, and, and just support you in it. But the church still has responsibility. So, so the church can't do what God assigns to the home, but the home also can't do what God assigns to the church. So in Scripture, we find these two institutions for making disciples, God-ordained institutions designed to produce disciples, the church and the home, And so as a church, we still have responsibilities to provide to you, Christian families, the best people, the best pastors, the best programs that we possibly can, the best content on a weekly basis that's going to undergird what you're trying to do at home. And so we want to connect and synchronize the disciple-making energies at church and at home for the purpose of maximizing gospel influence in the lives of our kids. So the next generation might love him with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's family ministry, okay? That's my job, if you didn't know. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. That's what the leadership talks about. How can we be better at equipping, encouraging, and holding accountable parents so that they can do what God's asking them to do more effectively, more efficiently? We're thinking about what happens within the walls of these buildings or just outside, trying to figure out how we can be better at undergirding what God's doing in the lives of your kids. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. It's really not what the Lord showed me this week. He didn't show me anything new or outside of Scripture, but as I read this over and over and over again, I don't want to give you the list of tricks and tips um, that you might often hear at this point in a family ministry or a Raising Up the Next Generation sermon, right? Because culture eats vision for breakfast, Right? I, don't, I think that's John Maxwell, actually. It's the first time I've ever quoted a John, John Maxwell in a sermon. Right? Culture eats vision for breakfast. And that's what Moses is doing, I think. That's what God's doing through Moses is he's defining culture, and then he's asking his people to enculturate his children in that culture. Right? And I think if we're going to be successful in raising up men and women who at 18 are ready to go out into the world and stick a flag in the ground for the kingdom of God, then we've got to build cultures in our home and in the church and then enculturate our children into that, that they might go out and love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and accomplish something for the kingdom. So let's talk about culture. Three words that, that in addition to immersive, that also came to me and popped into my mind that I thought a lot about and reflected on. Truth, time, and temperature. Truth, time, and temperature. The first two I think are gonna be really clear. The third one I'll have to explain in a minute. Um, but the truth, um, we have to be good stewards of the truth as parents. We have to be good stewards of the truth if we're going to see our kids accomplish great things for God. And by the way, none of this is a guarantee. I think you, uh, you, may, you may know that. I hope you know that. Our job is to be stewards. Our job is to be faithful with what God has entrusted us with, the word of God and our children. Right? And and he does the work. He's doing the work this morning. He'll do the work in our kids' lives. We we trust in him. So we're not forcing anything. We're just being faithful with what God has called us to. And that first thing I think is the truth. We have to be faithful with the truth. And so at every opportunity, we expose our children to the word of God. I think frequently we have said, it has been said within these walls that we need to pray with our kids, read with our kids and sing with our kids. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful way to expose our children to the word of God. Bringing them to church on Sundays and Wednesdays when that exists is another thing that we can do to expose our children to the word of God. And we need to be looking for lots and lots of other creative ways. Talking about family worship for just a minute. Um, I have heard, I haven't heard it here, but I've heard in the last 10 years many times that we don't do family worship because I just don't feel equipped. I just can't do it. I don't know the answers, I might not know the answer I'm thinking to myself, well, sometimes I don't know the answers, is it really the expectation on us that we would always know all of the answers? That's ridiculous. Just tell your kid, I don't know everything. You think they thought you knew everything? They don't think that, I have five. So we're, we're okay as far as that goes, right? For the last two years, I was overseas and I had to operate in Spanish when I was teaching the Bible. It was a disaster most of the time because I knew what I wanted to say and I couldn't say because I didn't have the vocabulary or the ability to speak well enough to say it. So here's what we do in missions we give what we've got when we get it, always. We always give what we've got when we get it. Did you hear that? That makes sense? And that might be what God uses to quicken souls back to life. What you've got might be just what's needed. To produce salvation in your kid or somebody else's kid that's how good God is you give what you've got when you get it right but go out and get it so we can't give what we don't have we know that I can't give you what I don't have and so I can't give my children the truth if I don't know the truth and so I'm not letting you off the hook study God's word be serious about it you know, a, a five-minute quiet time in the morning, I eat breakfast, I'm hungry by 10. That's my physical body. My spiritual body, if I, if I feed it, the Word in the morning, you know, for five minutes, I can expect that to last me about 15 minutes, and then I'm back in sin, okay? So we can't just dive into God's Word in the morning. It sounds spiritual, right? 15 minutes in the, in the Word, and we're good to go for the rest of the day. It's just not going to work, right? We're not going to have enough Word in us to give to others, right? We've, we're, we're in danger of being able to resist sin on our own part. That We've got to be serious about God's word. We've got to dive into the truth. We've got to study. We've got to ask questions. We've got to find people that can pour into us, that can invest into us, maybe through a D group or some other means. But we've got to be serious students of the word of God so that we're overflowing with God's word and that overflow pours over into the lives of our kids. And then give it to them. Be disciplined enough to sit down with them and to teach them. That's my challenge and I bet it's yours. Time. That's the second word. This is the hard one. I, I thought about it all week long. This is, this is the one that um, asks us to be radical. This is the one that um, is, is most the response, I think, to the text, the culture-building reality that is is going to be the most difficult for us to reach out and to accomplish because we're spending our time in all sorts of different ways that that simply don't build gospel culture, that simply aren't going to produce fruit in our lives or our kids' lives. So let me just do a little bit of math for you. I don't know if this is helpful to you or not, but let's say your kids are at church for an hour right now, and in an hour on Wednesday night, that's two hours, and then you're participating in family worship, two thumbs up, and so you've got, I'm going to give you 30 minutes, four nights a week, because that's two hours, and so two plus two is four, four hours a week of um, investment in your kid's life, culture building work in, in, the li- in your home and in your kid's lives, and so we'll set that over there for a second, now let's think about, so that's the sacred, let's think about the secular, secular engagement in culture or secular culture engaging your kids so you don't have to go out and find the secular it'll come to you okay so we start school this week and uh, we make different decisions about where our kids go to school and that sort of thing that's that's not the purpose of of this but um, more than likely wherever you send your kids the mission statement isn't what we heard earlier or um, it's not going to be a reality that builds up the kingdom of God and the gospel and the lives of your kids. Maybe, but, but most of us don't have that, right? And so that's 30 to 35 hours a week engaged in secular culture. And then we add to that sports, which may be upward, I don't know, but sports, um, YouTube, um, movies. Time in the Neighborhood, and we just can add and add and add and add to that list where our kids are participating in secular cultures. And so I'm just going to slap 50 on that. Five hours in sacred culture, 50 hours in the secular. And then we're confused about what's going to happen next. What do you think is going to happen when that's the reality of our lives? And we have this text in front of us in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, where immersive is the word culture defined, now immerse your kids into that culture and them into it, perpetuate it in the land by, by spending so much time, all the time. There's not a, we can't find any time where we're excused from putting God's word into our kids, right? That's, that's what we're being challenged with this morning. And then our lives are set up in such a way that we spend 10 times more time in the culture than we do building a gospel culture. And so this is just hard. This is a burden on our back. The expectations of God's word on our lives, the demands of time that it places on our lives, it's incredible. We still have to live in this economy. I get it. It's like asking college students with $50,000 of debt to start tithing 10%, right? It's kind of impossible. But that's, that's the demands of God's word. And so I thought this morning, what will I do? Will I ask them to do what I think they might do? Or will I ask them to do what God's word says they should do? God's word says we should invest all of our time into our kids, creating and building up a gospel culture that they might go out into the nations and do something for him or the neighborhoods if they stay local. The the Israelites go over into the land. Let's throw this in there. And they forget God's word, and they spend way too much time engaged in secular cultures, and they forget God. 2007, there was a study done by Lifeway. Seven out of ten young Christian adults departed from their family's home at 18 and from the faith. 2017, ten years later, the same thing happened. Seven out of ten young adults leave their parents' home and depart from the faith. And so maybe something good has happened in the last three years. I don't know. There's no study for that. Um, but these are things that we have to think about. This is where God's word is challenging us in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And I don't have any answers for you. My, my encouragement is that you build culture this morning. If you want kids that are ready to leave the home at 18 years of age, and to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, and strength, and to accomplish something for the kingdom of God, then steward well the truth and their time. Help them to spend their time wisely. Find ways to take back more and more and more of their time for God's purposes. I will say I, I love The idea, the concept of of starting a school is something I'm quickly getting on board with simply because it's one decision that I can make that potentially redeems a huge amount of my kids' time. Now, I know I can't delegate to a school what God, the responsibilities that God gave me to do. I know that. And at the same time, here's an option where the vision statement, the mission, the values, the teachers are all striving to undergird what I'm trying to accomplish in the home with my children. And so that's, that sounds like an opportunity and, and one that I look forward to hearing more about. The third T word, temperature. And this isn't in a text, but it is in Ephesians 6.4. So go ahead and turn there. Ephesians 6.4. What I want you to see here is that we can do the right things in the wrong way, so we can fill our kids' minds with the truth, and we can invest huge amounts of time in them, but if we do so um, in an unscriptural or unhelpful spirit, then we undermine all of that, all of that effort. And so Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's this command here to bring our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not that different than what we're reading in Deuteronomy 6. We have it again here in Ephesians 6. Uh, but there's this warning. Do not provoke your children to anger. Right? We can go about the right thing in the wrong way. So I'll give you an example from my house that happens. Um, it's happened several times. Maybe even a lot of times. I sit down with my kids in the living room, we're gonna have family worship, so I get them all set down, I've got the scriptures, I'm ready to go, I sorta have a plan for what I wanna accomplish. I start to read and they just start fidgeting and messing around and interrupting me and I can't think straight and it's super distracting and after five or six minutes of that, I slam the Bible shut, I shout at them, I have a red face and I send them to their rooms and they love God less than they did before, right? It's the right thing, the truth, passing time together, but it's done in the wrong way. It got out of control, right? And so the temperature of our home, we've got to monitor that. We've got to make sure the atmosphere and the attitude of our home is right and God-honoring so that our home's a fruitful place for our kids to, to grow and to mature. And so our home should be characterized by the fruits of the Spirit. It's... it's As simple as that, and also as difficult, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness. We want homes that are characterized by these attributes. And when we do that, we are creating and producing a fertile soil, a healthy temperature in which our kids can grow and mature and develop into the people that we want them to be and that we pray um, God wants them to be. So Moses finishes his sermon to the Israelites. He goes into the land, and they fail. They fail. So they don't last long in the grand scheme of things, right? And so again, just in conclusion, um, I think it's helpful to say and to be reminded, the standard is holiness, right? That's what's communicated to us. The, 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 The law is holiness codified. The standard is holiness, and we, we are all sinners, and we're all going to fall short of, that, of, of God's glory and fall short of God's standard, just as God's people did. But I just want to urge you this morning and encourage you this morning to, to think about these three words, to think about these three ingredients for building a gospel culture in your home and to pursue them. Pursue them. Know that your church is behind you. We want to support you in that. We care about you. We're here to invest in you and invest in your kids and invest in what's going on in your home to the extent of maybe starting new projects. And so we care about you. We love you. We love your kids. And we pray that you will find ways to steward God's truth well, to redeem more and more time and to invest it into gospel purposes. We pray that the temperature of your home would be a healthy one in which your kids can grow let's pray together Lord, again we thank you for who you are we know that only Christ kept your law that only Christ accomplished loving you with all of his heart soul strength and mind we know that we fall woefully short on a daily basis Lord but we also know that as parents and as a church you've called us to invest and to keep going and to keep trying, to give our best effort, to find new things, to take back new grounds. I pray that you would help us as we endeavor to do that, that you would energize us as we look to the fall, as school starts, as our kids go back into places. Lord, I pray that you would convict us and encourage us and prompt us to have more conversations with them, to find out what's going on in their lives and to speak your truth into those places Lord I pray for success and parenting for my family and for all the families present here I pray for the person who who may be checked out Lord because they don't have children this is not where they're at and so I pray for them I pray that they would love you with all their heart soul strength and mind that they would find a way as church members to plug in and to invest in the next generation thank you again for this opportunity thank you for who you are in Christ's name amen